Shall we take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 8? Psalm 8. Let's read it first. So follow along while I read. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, <clears throat> and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this psalm. We thank you for the wonderful truths that are contained here for every single one of us. And, O oh Lord, it's a psalm that encourages me and challenges me. And we rejoice in your greatness and your care for us. God, as we pray, and watch over Pastor Frank and Mary as they're away, and we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, imagine for a moment, how big is a minnow? This big? Now suppose you have a big minnow in a little pond. You got it? He is then a big fish in a little pond, right? Now let's say, suppose through some quirk of fate, and he didn't get killed by the salt water, he wound up in the ocean. But in the ocean he lands next to a blue whale. <clears throat> the eye of the blue whale is bigger than the minnow. Now, who's the big fish? You know, as you think about that, so often we as humans think we're so great. We're so big. We've gone to the moon. Or people have gone to the moon. I haven't. Now they're talking about Mars. There's computers. And uh, so on like that. I mean, when I finished my schooling, I didn't even know what a computer was. I thought the electric typewriter was fantastic. How times have changed and moved on. Uh, in fact, it's, it's interesting, in 1715, King Louis XIV of France died. He'd reigned for 72 years. He called himself the Great. And he even made a famous statement, apparently, I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in Europe, and his funeral was spectacular. As his body lay in the state in a golden coffin, orders had been given that the cathedral should be dimly lit, and one special candle was above his uh, coffin, dramatizing his greatness. Well, you've got the picture and the scene. At the memorial, thousands waited in hushed silence. 
Then the bishop, now, I, probably Catholic, but it, the point is here anyway, he began to speak, slowly reaching down, he snuffed out the candle and said, only God is great. <clears throat> John Wesley once said, give me a worm that can understand a man, and I'll give you a man that can understand God. Now as you think about Psalm 8, we, re we have here, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. That's repeated twice. It's repeated at the beginning, it's repeated at the end. What is God like? There's a little boy in school and um, in prep and he was drawing a picture. The teacher came up to him and says, well, what are you drawing? So I'm drawing a picture of God. She smiled and said, well, we don't know what God looks like. He looked up very seriously and he said, well, when I'm done, they will. They will. <laughs> you know, who is man? Somebody made this comment. Think about the seed of a watermelon. Now, how big is the seed of a watermelon? How big is the watermelon? Anywhere from, let's get one of the big ones, right? Now, can you explain how a seed can be put in the ground, grow and produce a watermelon with a lot of seeds, which in turn can do that? This is the creative work of God. Look at the stars above especially without the lights of the city. They are the work of God's fingers. You know, as I think about this um, here, it says in the first one, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. It says the same thing in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Look at the text for a moment. Do you notice something different about O Lord, our Lord. Yeah, the first one's all capitals. What's going on here? That's a reflection from the original language. And that, the original language, I find fascinating. Can I delve into it? For, hopefully I won't lose everybody. Um, but in the third commandment, the Lord says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh the name of the Lord in vain. It's a very serious thing. And for the Jewish people, they didn't want to even get close. So they decided, we're never going to say it, lest we accidentally say it wrong. So they would only put the consonants, YHW, which is pronounced like a V now, H. But they would say another word whenever they came to that. They'll either say the name, Hashem, or Adonai. But they won't say this other because of their real concern. They don't want to do it. But as I look at that word, that's just a footnote. As I look at that word, I find something really interesting about it. And you're going to have to trust me at this point. Go with me to Exodus chapter 3. Keep your finger here. Now, the background here is Moses was doing what he'd been doing for 40 years. He became a shepherd when he was 40 after being a prince. And he found out sheep, were, uh, sheep did a lot to uh, take care of proud Moses. But as he's doing what he's always done, 
for 40 years, day, week after week, week after week. He notices a bush, and it's desert. A bush burns. Doesn't pay any attention at first, but when it keeps on burning, he says, now this is not normal. What's going on? So he wanders over just to have a look. And then the bush talks. It turns out to be God. And God says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and you're going to take my people out of slavery to the promised land. And Moses says, who, me? I didn't have my application in. He says, well, God, I've accepted it. I've chosen you. Well, in this discussion, because Moses is trying to wriggle out of it, he noted verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. <clears throat> uh, this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, thou shalt serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, well, What's his name? What shall I say unto them? You I think Moses, one, he's a little bit unsure of himself, but there's something else. Not all the people of, Jew of Israel were following God. There was a lot of idolatry. They had multiple gods around. So he walks off the desert and says, The God of your fathers, they can say, Who are you and who's he? From a natural point of view, I can understand what he's thinking. God had just said, I'm with you. But he still, he has some big things to consider. Notice he says, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, This shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. In the original language, I am is in the same family of words as the word capital L-O-R-D, all capitals. You know what God is saying? I am the eternal one. You go into the past, I am, I exist. You go into the now, I am. You go into the future, not I will be, I am. Now to think about this, in Psalm 90 verse two, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth, the world and and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. As you look in, from our perspective into the past until our minds boggle and can no longer think, God has always been. You go into the future where we can no longer even imagine, God says, I am that I am. You know, it's like this. We think from time. I think, you know, like right now, it's what time and just watching the clock go around, the sun going around. I think by sequence of time. In the beginning, God already was. So that means he made time. So time isn't 
necessary for God. He's outside of time. One man described it this way. Suppose um, you had a sheet of paper that had no limits, symbolizing eternity. And just one little line on that piece of paper is time. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Our God is an eternal God. He never had a beginning. He has always been. He stands outside of time. He's God, he said, I am God. There is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. He sees it all at once. So when you read here in Psalm 8, O Lord, he is the eternal existing one. But the next one is spelled differently, isn't it? That one has the idea of, a, of a, one who's the supernatural master overall. It's even used in some cases of a master. Modern Hebrew, a form of it, is used for mister. Sometimes in the Bible for husband. So the thought of this one is not so much of God's eternal existence, but he's the sovereign one. Like we read in Psalm 114.7, Tremble O thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Now, so think, what is a sovereign? He's someone who rules, right? And if God is all sovereign, that means he has to know everything, right? If he didn't know any one thing, he couldn't be all sovereign, could he? If there's one thing, he said, oops, I forgot. Or I didn't know. God is all-powerful. If there was just one little weakness that could be dented in God, he could not be all-sovereign. You know, there's something else. I've learned through my years of life, few compared to Moses. <laughs> you know what? I have to rely on other people for things. Even Prime Minister Rudd has to rely on other people. He doesn't have all authority, does he? He has a stubborn Senate from his perspective and so on like that. And, uh, but you know, with God, he doesn't rely on anything outside of himself. He doesn't have to do something because, some, because you know, that's the right thing. Everything's within God himself. He is totally free from any other thing. He is completely sovereign. He has complete control. And, you know, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. You know, people may say, halt in the name of the law. What do we mean by that? It means there's something more than just a name, isn't it? It means who's behind it and so forth like that. Or he, wants, he wanted to protect his good name. How excellent is thine, the very character of God. He is the one who is the eternal one, the all-sovereign one. And it says how excellent is thy name. Uh, over in 1 Samuel 4, the uh, Philistines and the Jews were having a bit of a battle. 
and the Jews were losing. This is in the days of Eli. So they had the idea, hey, whenever the Ark of the Covenant came out, there was always victory. Let's bring it out. So the sons of Eli brought it out. And the Jews says, hey, this is... And the Philistines says, what's going on over there? And when they heard it, they were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. They knew the history of the Jews. They said, This God, excellent, mighty, awesome. They were terrified. Because they knew the reputation of God. Deborah uses a similar word. In this, after they conquered Sisera, she had a victory song. And it's recorded for us. And in the song she said about uh, Sisera, it comes up to uh, the, uh, yeah, I, I for, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, let's go to uh, Judges 5. You don't have that name, do you? What? Barak and, De- and Deborah, but it's the, uh, the other lady, the non-Jewish lady that's, that killed Sisera. He, uh, he, jail, that's it. Yeah. So she describes what Sisera came up. He'd been running from the battle, so he was... <sighs> and guess what? Very thirsty. And he asked for water. Here's how Deborah described it. He asked water. She gave him milk. Verse 25. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She didn't bring out some chipped, broken, battered pottery. She brought out the best pottery, right? And gave it to him. And then he got relaxed and he found me and then he, well, the rest is history. You know, as I think about, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. How awesome, how magnificent is God's name. Who God is. Where? On earth. Not in the heavens. Although that's, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So that brings me, okay, here on earth, there's us, right? Who's important, God or us? Notice uh, the last part of verse 1 and verse 2. I uh, see, uh, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Now verses 7 and 8. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. You have here a comparison. Where is God's glory? It's above the heavens. You know, David spent many a night as a shepherd boy looking at the starry sky. 
and he, as he saw the magnificence of the night sky, and as he remembers that, as he writes this psalm under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says God's glory is above that. It's beyond that. And he said, and you know, I don't know how you think, or I think I, I suspect, I would think this way, if we want to really show how magnificent we are, we want something really strong to show it, right? But what does God use? Children and sucklings who can't even talk. God doesn't need us to show his glory. He doesn't need us to show his excellence. He has, his name is so excellent. And David realized that. God doesn't need me to proclaim his excellence. He's chosen us as believers to stay here and declare him. But that's not because he needs it. That's his choice. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. <clears throat> Verses 7 and 8 all sheep, yea, and oxen, and beasts of the... What's this? Well, back in Genesis 1.28, the Lord, we read, the Lord, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Man has a dominion. Man has, shall we say, a bit of a glory. What is it? It's on earth. But what is God's glory? It's above the stars. Talk about a little fish in a little pond, or a big fish in a little pond. Yes, we, yes it's, there's a bit of glory, but it's a little bitty pond when we come to God. Then look at verses 3 through 6. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. If I'm going to dig a hole, what do I use? A shovel. Do I use my fingers? You know, one time I dug graves. You know what? To dig, because they were six feet over there in America, that's a long time to dig with your fingers. And they couldn't use the machine because of where it was, so we had to dig it out by hand. And I, looked, I got a lesson in real quick. No, that's not the way you shovel. You, and I had to be shown how. <laughs> but when you look at the stars... It's not the work of the big, massive shovel. It's the work of, of God's fingers. Intricate, delicate. When we think of the massive number, the might and the power, this is the work of God's fingers. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. And he says, What is man 
that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. God remembers us. He cares about us. When God comes for a visit, he doesn't just come to say hi. He comes to do something. When he remembers us, like, and we read Noah was in the ark, and God remembered Noah, and then he started to remove the waters of the flood. God cares and is mindful of us. And he says, when I consider the greatness of God, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Yes, there is a glory that man has, but it's just dominion on the earth. And what is the earth in the universe? We live on the rind of a little bitty planet in a little bitty solar system in a not so big Milky Way, you get the picture. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Yes, we have a glory. But it's nothing compared to God. It's the, we're just a little fish, a big fish in a little pond, aren't we? But there is something I find fascinating about this chapter. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. There's even more here, because it brings me to the question, who is this man? Verse 5, for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What, where is that from? Psalm 8. Or the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou, crown, thou crownedest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things un, in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he hath, not, he hath left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. You know, and the Psalm 8 does speak about the contrast of man and God. But the psalmist picks up and says, there is the man, Jesus Christ, who is the eternal God, the sovereign God. He took on himself human flesh. And he was made a little lower than the angels through the suffering of death. But one day, all things will be subjected to him, and he will be the sovereign on earth in his human body, which he took on. His human, uh, yeah. And as to think about that, why, God, did you do that? Why did you lower yourself 
like that, that he should taste death for every man. God told our ancestor Adam, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. I've sinned. We've all sinned. And we have the sentence of death. I've buried people. That's because of sin. But he tasted death for every man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I can think of ahead. One day Christ will return bodily. And he will reign. He will be the sovereign in Jerusalem. And all things will be subjected. As you say, you look around. We spoke about war earlier. And all the economic problems. Is everything in subjection to him now? No, but it will be. That's what we read in Psalm 8. Now, so think about this God. Who is God? He is the eternal, ever-present, sovereign one, isn't he? Who are we? We're nothing much, are we, when we compare with that? We're a little fish in a big pond. And then I think, you know, if I'm so little, why, God, have you been mindful of me? Why have you visited me? Why have you remembered me? And God says, because he, re he reveals himself so that he, we can have a personal relationship with God. He's not the distant God who's unconcerned, just reveals his will, but not himself. He's revealed himself. He dwelt among us. And John said, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And he cared enough to come and die on the cross of, Jesus, of, of Calvary for us. But as I think about this, God is eternal. He is sovereign and all things will one day be subjected to him. Why do we rebel? When it says God's will is to do this and that, why do we rebel? All things will be subjected. We will have to submit. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who is man? God cares about us. But he is the sovereign, holy, eternal God. We need to submit to him and praise him. If we don't know him as Savior, we need to trust him as Savior. If we're believers, but have not said, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you want. I'm willing to do whatever you want. We need to say, yes, Lord, I will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this psalm. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Lord, you are an excellent, eternal, sovereign God. But God, you care about us. You care about me. You died, Lord.
Jesus Christ died for me that I might live. And we pray here, Lord, that everyone will place their faith in you. And all believers, Lord, will say, yes, Lord, I will do your will. I'll submit to you. And we say thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.